It's Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. Sort of McNabb. And it has to do with Star's Air Ambulance and details on that in a moment. But, uh, of course, Greg, the, the, the big story on everyone's mind, or I think it's just most of our minds, is the end of the manhunt in Saskatchewan with Sanderson being captured and ultimately being pronounced dead soon after. It was obviously a tension-filled handful of days for many folks in Saskatchewan in particular, and to see things come to an end, I think is a relief to most, if not all of us, and of course our our heartfelt condolences and and support go out to those uh, in particular on the uh, on the James uh, Smith Cree Nation as we uh, you know learn more about what happened, we learn more about the victims, and I think that's where our focus uh, ought to be. But there will be some questions about the motives. It'll be very difficult to find out why this all happened. And also the questions as to what ultimately led to the demise of Miles Sanderson, one of two suspects who uh, who are now deceased in what was and what is one of the largest mass killings in Canada's history. And, of course, I was in Saskatchewan for for a couple of days over the weekend. And on Sunday and into Monday, any time that we were not in our hotel room or inside Mosaic Stadium... I wouldn't say it consumed us by any stretch of the imagination, but I will be honest. My head was, to use a sports analogy, on a swivel in terms of looking around and and making sure that there weren't any suspicious-looking individuals lurking or, or, you know, approaching. And so I can only imagine what it's been like for those much, much closer to this situation for the last several days. So in our next segment, we are going to give you a recap of the timeline uh, and then at 7.05, we are going to learn more about some of the victims and how their families are remembering them. And, of course, if you want more details, you can get more at cjob.com and globalnews.ca. We have extensive, extensive coverage through our global news team. Now, we mentioned Loren and Stars Air Ambulance. She is on an adventure today. And we know very little about what's happening, and that's the whole point. It's uh, called Rescue on the Island. She is going to be participating in this event. She and several community and business leaders will be flown to a remote location where they're going to try to raise funds and awareness about stars through a variety of exercises on the island before they are rescued. So she was suggesting yesterday that uh, she's not particularly helpful in maybe a situation like this. She was wondering, is there a hammock involved? I'm looking at pictures on the on the on the website right now. Brett support dot stars dot ca. Mm-hmm. And I don't see any hammocks. <laughs> uh, I, there are a couple of chairs. Uh, you know the the types of chairs, the folding chairs that you might take with you to a kids sporting event or maybe camping. But there seems to be a lot of work going on here and a lot of awareness happening. So uh, McNabb's idea of maybe sitting back and swinging in a hammock and reading a book today <laughs> might not be the way it's going down. <laughs> so Loren is going to join us coming up after Global News at 6.30. She is going to be live on scene with a Stars Air Ambulance pilot. And then for our small town salute at 7.35, she's going to speak with 
one of the participants from Rescue on the Island who has a very deep and personal connection to this organization as he was saved by them. Our small town salute, of course, goes every Thursday, Brett. So we thought we would take advantage of this opportunity uh, to to hear from, from Trevor, who... Uh, was saved by Stars Air Ambulance, and outside the perimeter is predominantly where Stars serves. Of course, the smaller communities, this flying hospital, we've learned so much about Stars over the last year or so. This uh, flying ER, this flying operating room gives gives caregivers an opportunity to begin care before victims of, of a variety of different circumstances, uh, car crashes probably at the top of that list, an opportunity to receive care before they get to a hospital. And typically that hospital is in a major centre, like Brandon, like Winnipeg. You have a bird's eye view of what happens on the Albrechtson uh, helicopter pad there at HSC. It's a busy place and that's because... Those from outside the perimeter highway are coming into into HSC for specialized care. So we'll learn more about that at 635 and at 735. And then speaking of health care, I see a little bit later on on our schedule, just after 845, we're talking to Milt Stiegel, but not necessarily about football. We'll sneak a little bit of football. Always try and weave the football narrative into our discussions with Milt Stiegel. But today is the launch of the HSC Millionaire Lottery. So you will be seeing even more of Milt's smiling face, uh, encouraging you to support the HSC Foundation and the work that they do. And I was shocked. I knew Milt had been out of the CFL for a while and hadn't played for the Bombers for some time, but 2008, I didn't realize it had been 14 years since uh, Milt Stiegel suited up for the Blue and Gold. He looks like he could still do so, and that connection between Milt and the community lives on today, and we'll speak with him later on this morning about his family, how things are going for him and just this connection to the city of Winnipeg, the province of Manitoba, all these years later. You know, it's funny that you mentioned Milt looks like he could still suit up to play professional football. And when you look at a guy like Milt Stiegel, I, I sometimes wonder, he's made better choices in his life than I have. I saw this meme on Instagram yesterday, and it was <laughs> two guys standing side by side, and the caption was, same age, different choices. And one was... Guy had his shirt hiked up and he had this six pack abs and he still looked like a young man. And the the gentleman beside him was uh, slightly more of the the well, let's say the the one guy had a six pack, the other had a keg. How's that? Sounds perfect. And he looked uh, significant, like he it looked like his grandfather. And I just thought, <sighs> you look at someone like Jennifer Lopez, Milt Stiegel, they found the fountain of youth and. Uh, just healthier life choices. Uh, sometimes I wonder why do I why do I always feel so lousy? Well, it's probably because I ate ten pounds of potato chips this week. You probably, you and I probably eat more potato chips in the course of one week than Milt Stiegel has in his entire life. <laughs> It's Mackling and McGarry. McNabb is going to join us in a moment. Reminder that we have lots of stuff to give away today. We've got the offspring, 
Coming to Canada Life Centre Friday, November 18th. We've got tickets to give away for that. We'll give those away at 9.15, and we'll tell you in our next segment how you can win them. We also have Boney M tickets to give away December 7th, Club Region Event Centre. Just after 7.50, we'll play another round of Up and Atem, where we ask you a trivia question, and the answer begins with the letter M, and you have to text in to win for that. And we have a gift card, $50 gift card for Trans Canada Brewing Company. We'll give that away at around 8.45, because they're getting ready to celebrate their fifth anniversary on September 17th. That's the day of the big party. And uh, we also gave away Gold Eyes tickets yesterday. And big night for the fish, Mackling. Fish win, fish win. And so they just need now to uh, close out the deal in Fargo-Moorhead against the Red Hawks as they uh, go back down to Fargo-Moorhead to close out that series. So uh, they they need, uh, I guess it's two wins down in Fargo Moorhead. No, maybe they just need one. They the, win that's right. It's a best of first one for two out of three, right? Two out of three. So they play Friday and potentially Saturday. So let's go. Gold eyes. In the meantime, yesterday, Loren went back to school, capturing the sounds, the excitement, and the nervousness of the first day of school. And this morning she's doing her best. Professional wrestler imitation, Brett McGarry. <laughs> we know she hails from Minnedosa, but for this particular segment and for today, she is today off to parts unknown. Good morning, Lorraine McNabb. Oh, good morning, guys. I'm so excited to be joining you from the Stars Air Ambulance Base, where we are being swarmed by mosquitoes <laughs> at this moment. So in case you hear slapping, I'm going to be slapping Chris. He's going to be slapping me because they're everywhere. I'm a little nervous for what that means for our adventure today because we are heading out. I actually don't know where. We're going to a remote location to an island where we'll be challenged to you know, do different things that are connected to all the things Stars does which is super exciting and a little scary, if I'm being honest. I've been told there are no hammocks, Brett, so that is, that is off the agenda. But it's an important day because this is a big fundraising day for STARS, and we're going to get into a bit of what we're going to do in a moment. But I want to bring in Chris Filietro to talk about the role he plays as a pilot at STARS. And, and you're used to going to all sorts of different places, Chris, but what goes through your mind every time you get that alarm that there's a Manitoban in need? Uh, every uh, time we get that alarm, first and foremost, we need to assure that we're going to do the mission safely. That's not only for uh, our benefit, obviously, in, in the helicopter where a lot of things are dangerous just as a nature of the job, but to make sure that we can really get to that patient, provide them the uh, life-saving care that they need, and then to get home or to the hospital, so to speak, with the patient, whichever one that is that we're going to, and make sure that we can uh, do that uh, mission completely and uh, with uh, all the safety in mind. What kind of calls have you responded to? Because it comes to mind as I've been working with you guys this past month, just how much Manitobans need this kind of service, but particularly those who might live away far distances from a hospital or travel or go out to the lake. So what kind of calls might you respond to? Uh, you know, that's a very good question because uh, the diversity of the calls that we respond to are, uh, are, are just as... Uh, it's a massive spectrum. So we, we divide them up into two categoricals. Uh, one is a scene call and one is an inter-facility transfer. So inter-facility is easy to say because it's going from one facility to another. That uh, captures all those things. A scene call is everything else. So the moment we blast off and we don't know if we're going to land in a farmer's field, we're going to land in a, in a ditch somewhere, we're going to land in the middle of a road to gain access to uh, an area that has restricted access to it, or even on the highway 
where a lot of people see us every day kind of thing. Um, that one's obviously very visual, very public, but there's so many places that people don't see us go to. Intercept an ambulance for someone who's having a cardiac arrest somewhere, uh, for example, like between here and Minnedosa kind of thing, because they, they, they had the arrest in Minnedosa, but now they need that, that, uh, that cath lab treatment at the St. Boniface, and we meet them halfway or something like this, and we get them there within, you know, uh, we're talking uh, 30 minutes of having that event, you know, and giving them the best possible outcome. This work cannot happen without the help of Manitobans, without the help of fundraisers. There are some government dollars, of course, with STARS. That is taxpayer dollars. But it's the fundraiser today that helps keep you guys in the air. Tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars really is the goal. You can go to rescueisland.ca for more, rescueontheisland.ca for more. But speaking of that rescue, before I let you go, what am I getting up to out there today? I know there are some challenges. You're not going to have me, you know, do some sort of chest scalpel situation <laughs> you know what that's funny i don't know what clinical might have us do actually uh, uh it's interesting so uh we're, we're going to be going out like you said to somewhere remote hopefully these mosquitoes don't follow us um and then we're going to do uh, anything from uh survival related aspects of uh living in the woods sort of thing to navigation to uh clinical interventions which we'll, i'm super excited for and uh, yeah really we'll have to see how the day rolls out that way it'll be exciting i was telling my uh, Chris, Brett, and Greg, that my kids were excited that I'm t- actually teamed up with Chris today. He is the pilot, and the goal for the participants out here is to raise enough money or you'll get stranded on the island. And my kids said, Well, you can't be stranded if you're teamed up with the pilot. He's got to fly, he's got to fly people <laughs> home. So that is the good part about what's going on today. But in about an hour's time, there's two participants here uh, one who's an executive with the Kinsman Club. She does great work in her community. And then in an hour, I'm going to introduce you to Trevor Thompson. He's the first ever participant who has also been on the other end of the spectrum. He was rescued, saved by stars two years ago. We'll share his story in about an hour. And again, rescueontheisland.ca is where you can go for more details. All right, Loren McNabb getting ready to go off on an adventure. Oh, Hopefully, mosquitoes. <laughs> Sorry. Take shelter. Take cover, Loren. We gotta go. They're killing me. Did you volunteer for this? Or I were you volunteered for this right now. I am in trouble. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> oh, that's great. Thank you so much, Lauren. Have fun out there. Have fun. And on the bug front, I'll just mention this quickly, Mackling. Uh, yeah, I, it was funny. Friday, I was standing outside of the King's Head, by, and I was beside a trash can, and I, and I kind of looked down and thought, huh, we're into September, and there's no wasps hovering around that can. No wasps. And then Saturday at the golf course at Morden in Minnewasta, they started to come out. Mm. And yesterday I was in LaSalle at Kingswood, and they are definitely out on mass. My buddy got stung. He thinks one may have, like, flown into his shirt while Wonderful. he was taking a shot. And he sat down in the cart and leaned up again, leaned back, and it stung his back. Wasn't it last summer that we had wasps way early and we were wondering what the heck was going on? And then now this year we're wondering what the heck is going on because they've been, could we say, Leighton showing up? I would, oh, definitely, because they were they were here mid-August last year, if memory serves. Because they Because they, they showed up early last year and then they kind of went away. And then they came back super aggressive way earlier 
than normal. It got it started to get earlier and earlier with, with the drier conditions, and I guess with the more lush conditions this year, they've been lots able of food to, sources. That's right. They've been able to snack on their normal stuff, but now they want to get into my drink on the golf nom, course. Nom, 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 like, nom. Come on now, leave us alone. Mackling and McGarry, McNabb's going to rejoin us at 7.35 for our small town salute because she is participating in Rescue on the Island with Stars Air Ambulance today. She's going to be taken off to a remote location where she's going to be doing a bunch of different exercises to raise some funds for this important organization. So inspired by her adventure, the question is, what is the most remote location you have ever visited, uh, whether by choice or by accident. Maybe you got lost. I don't know. Uh, or if you've never really been anywhere super remote, maybe there is a location you would like to visit at some point. 204-780-6868 for a chance to win tickets to see the Offspring Canada Life Centre Friday, November 18th. Greg Backling, let's start with you. Well, why don't we start with a little bit of music to set this up? I assume you know what uh, what TV show that's the theme song from, Brett McGarry? Dukes of Hazard. Dukes of Hazard. Waylon Jennings. Well, the year is 1988, and I'm making my way to North Carolina for an ill-advised uh, trip to begin with, the details of which are not important at this particular moment. But I was making my way through Kentucky. I had passed through Lexington, Kentucky, just before sundown. And I made a wrong turn. I ended up on Interstate 75. I wanted to go onto Interstate 64 and made a really bad decision to go cross country through the backwoods, which took me through Hazard County, Kentucky, and through West Virginia. Basically, for four or five hours, I was in the middle of nowhere. I ended up at a gas station in my 72 MGB convertible with my (laughs) surfer dude gear on and some good old boys were pretty interested in what was going on and who I was and where I was going and how much my car is worth. Let's just say I'm very lucky to be alive today based on that fateful decision to get off the interstate and make my way through Hazard County, Kentucky. Oh, boy. Scary stuff. I'm going to have to learn more about this situation. Dumb, dumb decision <laughs> is what it was. And you were by yourself? I was by myself. Nobody knew where I was. Nobody had any idea where I was. <laughs> oh, man. Jeff Braun, what about you? Uh, for me, it's it's the good kind of uh, isolated place. And uh, the furthest away I've been from anything was uh, the island of Maui. And I was, of course, surrounded by some lovely infrastructure and a lot of tourists. But uh, you can't get more remote than the Hawaiian Islands. If you look at the map, they're pretty much the place that's the furthest away from any sort of mainland on the entire planet. So that's a good one. And the thing I like about Maui is the beaches are on the west side of the island. So when you're sitting there looking out over the ocean, you're not looking, you know, back home towards Winnipeg kind of thing. It's like, oh, good. <laughs> it's Japan on the other side of this water and uh, not home. So, like, honestly, I wouldn't be able to relax when if I was facing east. You know, I always wonder about the about those super remote island locations or countries like the countries that are in the South Pacific as well. Uh, like, like I remember I, I one of my old colleagues 
Uh, she had moved to some country I'd never heard of, and I looked it up on the map, and it was pointing to the middle of the ocean, and I had to zoom way in to find this tiny island, and I always thought, how did people end up there in the first place and, and like, create societies <laughs> in the middle of yeah. the, the ocean? Great question. Like Fiji and Tahiti and places yeah. like that? Yeah, and Bora Bora and all that. So, oh, Bora Bora. Um, that would be a bucket list vacation. But, uh, yeah, that's great, Jeff. Uh, Hawaii, I, I got to go there too someday. Forte, what about you? For me, it would probably be a time that me and my friends got lost. I've told this story before. We were probably like 20 years old, 19 years old, and we were going camping up north somewhere. It's like three or four hours up north, and uh, we're traveling, and... T- our friends were using their Google map and like at the time, like they put the pin in the middle of the national um, park. And so we weren't on any paths that paths that we're supposed to be on. It took us onto skiing paths and bike paths. And we should have like taken the clue once the car couldn't fit on the paths anymore. (laughs) And we're, we're heading up this like, hill and we're like maybe we should stop here stop the car we get out if <laughs> we walk forward and we look over this just steep steep downcline like we were so lucky we didn't go over that downcline because we would not have gotten out of there in any good shape <laughs> for <clears throat> all these stories you guys are Give me anxiety here of these potential adventures that you had. Well, that was just being stupid kids, really. That's what it was. Poitras, <laughs> uh, what about you? Uh, well, this guy I knew when I was living out in Merritt, uh, he was doing this jam fest out at this resort in the middle of nowhere. Uh, real, real hippy dippy place, uh, north of Kamloops. Uh, we were uh, heading out there and there was like down trees over the road and huge, massive potholes and we're dodging all this stuff. Anyways, eventually we get there. Um, and I'd, I'd never been more in the middle of nowhere and it was one heck of a wild weekend, uh, was complete with a disease curing magic tree was there uh proclamations that this place was actually the center of the entire milky way galaxy oh boy um uh which was this spot on the top of a mountain now i have very very serious doubts that this exact spot there and just north of Kamloops is the exact middle of the entire universe um i i I just doubt that those are wild claims i don't know if i can support them uh but i can say it was a really really beautiful place that's for sure 204-780-6868 the most remote place you have ever visited whether intentional or not and if you haven't really been anywhere that you would classify as super remote where would you like to go is there a place you've scoped out or a country you want to visit or uh i don't know maybe just some remote camping location right here in manitoba 204-780-6868 for a chance to win tickets to see the offspring like tom slash begsy says i went to bud's gunasau lake lodge i'm not sure if i'm saying that correctly tom uh 275 miles north of gimli fly in fishing camp i know that's popular for a lot of people the whole fly in fishing adventure
Small town salute time. Now, right about now, Lorraine is making her way to a remote location for the STARS Air Ambulance Rescue on the Island. This is an annual event that had to take a bit of a pause due to COVID, but it's back this year with a big goal to raise tens of thousands of dollars for the program. Yeah, so for this week's small town salute, Brett, we we wanted to learn more about STARS, a service that's helped save the lives of so many Manitobans who either, either live in or near a small town, a service that helps all Manitobans who crisscross this province for family, for work, for pleasure. You could be out at the lake when you suffer a heart attack on your way to see a loved one for for only a few hours away and you're in a car crash or in the case of this next Manitoban, on a bike ride in Riding Mountain National Park when the worst occurs. His name is Trevor Thompson and he's on the island with Loren today and his story is tremendous. He is, in fact, the first ever fundraiser for this event who actually received life-saving care from STARS. This is a big day. You've shared with me that you actually had trouble sleeping in the lead-up to this rescue on the island. Just being with the crew again, um, being on the island competing, uh, meeting new people, uh, flying in a new helicopter um, excites me, but it also scares me. I'm not too sure if my emotions are um, flying in a helicopter or having that trigger of my um, my memory of my accident flying in the, the original helicopter. So, If you can, can you take me back to two years ago to the day that Someone had to call stars for you. Yes, I was uh, riding my mountain bike um, on a trail in the east side of Riding Mountain National Park uh, with a friend. And uh, I crashed my bike um, headfirst into the ground. And uh, I guess the the way I I hit the ground with my face and it snapped my neck backwards and my vertebrae and and my spine uh, crushed my, my spinal cord. It left me paralyzed from the shoulders down. Do you remember feeling that you couldn't feel from the shoulders down? Yeah, I had no movement. I I felt the pain in my face when I hit the ground. Um, and I felt coldness come over me and, and a little bit of a tingle, but then that just immediately went away. And I thought I just crashed and I could get myself back up and continue on. But when I went to, to move my body, I, I just couldn't move it was just dead weight and you know my my mind was trying to move my body but it couldn't so I knew something bad had happened I just didn't know what and I then just started spiraling uh, out of control I just panicked and, and, and cried and and just trying to figure out what to do and I just I had no idea what to do when you're when you're first laying there and realizing you can't feel anything what's going through your mind I didn't think I would ever move any part of my body other than my mouth. I pictured my future in a wheelchair, only moving the wheelchair by blowing into a tube, because that's what I've seen on TV. Um, I thought about how this would affect my... How it affect my my wife and my, my kids and my 
family and all my friends and I just that's the word meaning the most is how it it was gonna affect everyone else's life. I know time is of the essence in any medical emergency for you. What did the doctors say about the pressure that builds up on a spine after an injury like that and, and the need to get you into surgery as soon as possible? Um, they just said that, you know, where my surgery was, that was uh, so high uh, up on the neck that it was in a critical area that without surgery to to make an opening bigger uh, in my uh, around my, around the spinal cord, just to let the pressure off a bit. Um, if if I didn't get to Winnipeg fast enough, and that pressure continued um, to build, and it would have caused more nerve damage, and I probably wouldn't be walking today. Hmm. So you woke up at some point in hospital. What was your condition in the hours after that first surgery, Trevor? After the surgery, um, I, I could feel pain uh, up in my neck where they had cut. And um, I was still unable to, to move. Uh, I thought after the surgery it would be some, some of a, like a miracle. And I would be able to sit up or move my hands, but it wasn't the case. Uh, I could move my, my toes and my feet a little bit, but I still had no control over my hands. Mm. And uh, my hands and my arms were the last thing um, that I got back. So two years later, physically, how are you now? After visiting the doctor just recently, he's, he's still amazed of the recovery I've done. Um, he made the comment that I was one of the quicker recoveries um, they've seen in a while. I wasn't um, a complete um, sever of the spine. Um, my spinal cord injury is incomplete. So I do have spinal cord damage that I'll have for the rest of my life. I still have some um, issues with temperature feeling in my body or some sensations in my hands and my fingers. Uh, of course, being fused in my neck and back, I have um, movement issues, but I can golf, I can ride my mountain bike, um, I can get back to the gym and work out hard. Um, you know, I, I got back up water skiing this summer. Mm. I, I keep pushing the limitations of what I can do. And, but I am still trying to be cautious because I definitely don't want to get back into the state I was two years ago. But you still bike. You bike again. Yes. And did that feel good or a bit of everything? All the feelings in that moment? You know, I started biking last year. And the first time I got on the bike, I was more scared of the balance. And that was fine. And I got a block away from my home. And then... Just the memory of the accident all flooded right back to me. So I got so emotional. I just had to pull over on the, the side of the road and just stop and just cry for a while. And I had my daughter with me. And um, kept, together we just cried for a bit. Mm. And we just carried on. And, and you know, block after block, I just became more and more happy again to be back on my bike. 
There's probably all sorts of moments like that where that happens to you, Trevor. And, and as you think about getting back on the Stars helicopter, getting on the island, seeing some of the crew again, you mentioned there. there's going to be all the feelings again there. And so I'm curious, what is your hope out of this day on the island for for both the goal that you've set, but also just maybe for yourself? Being back on, or back with the crew again and seeing um, specifically my flight nurse, uh, who's been a good friend over the last two years, and being partners with her and teaming up to, to raise as much money as we can and, and just knowing that all the money we raise is being used to, to help um, fly that helicopter for another patient in need. This is essential in Manitoba. It, it has to be here. Like, we don't have enough hospitals in Manitoba that can, can get to a patient in need as quick as they can. Like, especially in rural areas, we could be out um, on a farmland or out in a trail like me or in northern Manitoba. Um, it, is, it is essential, but we need funding to keep the helicopter flying. And um, I didn't experience personally, uh, I, I don't think I realized how important it really is. Thank you, Loren. What a powerful interview with Trevor Thompson, Saved by Stars. It's two years ago, Brett, two words come to mind, courage, care, and as we mentioned off the top, it's when you're in rural Manitoba that you just might need stars the most. If you want to learn more about where Loren is today and how you can support stars, head to rescueontheisland.ca. Once again, she's been taken off to a remote location. She and several community and business leaders are going to raise funds and awareness about stars through a variety of exercises on the island before they are rescued and whisked away for dinner. It is Mackling and McGarry. McNabb is participating in Rescue on the Island with Stars Air Ambulance today. Before we do anything else, I want to first congratulate Elizabeth and Housen. Thanks to my blunder, <laughs> Elizabeth has won a prize. <laughs> Full honesty here. Uh, look, we gave away tickets for Boney M, December 7th, Club Region Event Center, in our Up and Atom trivia contest where you ask a question and the answer has, starts with the letter M. Today we tested either your memory or your ability to guess because we were talking, we've been talking about remote locations we visited. And shortly after 6.50, Jeff Braun said he had been on a super remote island. The answer was Maui. Ron and Diane were the first to answer correctly. I announced that on the air. As I was making said announcement, Mr. Mackling, I'm looking at our text line, and I realized I'd replied to the wrong text. Because, you know, we got dozens of texts instantly, and I just clearly clicked on the wrong one. And this hit happens. Reply. This happens. It's going to happen. We've had uh, discussions about, you know, responding to the wrong text, about the wrong thing and the trouble that can get us into. This only cost you 50 bucks. Yeah, that's right. Elizabeth and I have sorted it out. She'd rather take the beer. $50 gift card for TransCanada Brewing Company as they celebrate their fifth anniversary. So uh, we did say that we were going to give some away after around 8.35, 8.45, but that's out because Elizabeth takes it. So Ron and Diane get the Boney M tickets. Elizabeth gets the beer. And happy birthday to her hubby, Daryl. I hope you're feeling better, both of you. Elizabeth says they've both been a little under the weather. Uh, traffic tip here from Frank. 
single vehicle accident. This is southbound Isabel at Bannatine in the right-hand lane. Frank did not indicate whether or not this was causing any problems, but uh, he said he saw it about 825. So if, if, if that's the case, if it's been there for that amount of time, uh, you might be uh, in the thick of uh, an issue southbound on Isabel. And before we take a look at what's happening with Canada's telecom giants as it pertains to a deal they've struck and why critics aren't too happy about it, Colleen weighing in on her remote location she's visited. Yeah, Colleen sort of selling this story short here by starting with, my experience wasn't very remote as it was in Riding Mountain National Park, but I had done a solo camping trip and to an unused campsite called Breezy Hill. And it was very breezy. So that night as I attempted to sleep with the wild wind blowing and I couldn't hear anything but the wind, as I dozed off, I swear something pressed against the tent wall and touched my head. Needless to say, I didn't sleep much the rest of the night. I wonder what it was, a bear, a wolf? Raccoon? Some other small woodland creature? Porcupine. <laughs> we were in, uh, my buddy John and I were in Illinois Beach State Park and we were camping there for three or four days. And he swears that they've got badgers in that part of the world. And we did a dumb thing. We left our corn cobs in our fire pit. And uh, he swears a badger took a swipe up at him one night. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Maybe a wolverine. Wolverine sounds more uh, adventuresome. That yeah, for sure. Although so let's we, go with Wolverine. And forgive my uh, lack of immediate recall in geography. Where how near to Illinois is Wisconsin? Uh, oh, so Illinois Beach Park is like it's like just south of the Wisconsin Illinois border. Oh, okay, I think you could throw a football to Whispering. Was it Whispering Straits or Whistling Straits? Whistling Straits. <laughs> whispering Whistling Straits. The university in Wisconsin isn't it the Badgers? The Badgers. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. There you go. You put it all together. All right. So but I'm going with Wolverine. <laughs> <laughs> sounds, sounds more dangerous. Plus, then it's an excuse to chat. Wolverine! That's right, exactly. What's that, Red Dawn? Red Dawn, Okay. Right. 204-780-6868. Keep those remote location stories coming for a chance to win. Offspring tickets, we'll pick a winner for that at 9.15 and promise we will identify the correct person on our text line. So, um, after the Rogers Network outage left 911 and other critical services inaccessible for millions of Canadians in July, the country's major telecommunications companies have agreed on a plan to help each other out in case the network goes down. Yeah. Yeah, but Global's David Aiken explains why critics are unimpressed and how Ottawa vows more will be done to improve the reliability of wireless and internet services. After millions of Rogers customers went through the outage on July the 8th, the federal government gave all of the country's major telecom firms 60 days to figure out how to back each other up to provide emergency service. The telecommunication companies complied with our request to take meaningful actions to increase and improve network reliability in our country as we requested. The agreement they've reached runs 40 pages and has the signatures of the CEOs of 13 companies, including Bell, Rogers, Shaw, TELUS, and smaller providers like SASTEL and ExploreNet. Going forward, uh, should one of these providers be faced with a major outage, uh, the other companies commit Uh, to providing the support and the assistance. They each agreed that if one network goes down, others will help maintain 911 service, emergency roaming services, and maintain bank networks businesses need to process transactions. 
Critics, though, remain unimpressed. It's absolute incredible nonsense. And I'm very disappointed because it's very lackluster with the lack of enforcement. And fines and penalties for these companies that have a virtual monopoly is almost meaningless. And who will pay for all this? Well, not the customer, Champagne says. I'll be watching that like a hawk. Uh, but uh, my expectation is that they carry the cost. And that's not the end of the story. Champagne says the CRTC will soon have new rules, and the Trudeau government may soon have new regulations to force telecoms to provide more reliable service. And finally, the government plans to build out what it's calling the public safety broadband network. It will be the ultimate backstop should private networks fail in an emergency. No, that word ultimate has me nervous, Brett, because we know when it's promised that way, it very seldom is delivered in the same fashion. I I thought this arrangement would have been already in place. It was obvious when we dealt with the massive outage in July that this wasn't the case, but uh, at the very least, uh, perhaps it's a start. Mackling and McGarry McNabb participating in the Stars Air Ambulance Rescue on the Island today. And starting today, September 8th, you can now purchase your tickets for the HSC Millionaire Lottery to help Manitoba's largest healthcare facility to win big and to become Manitoba's next millionaire. This year's lottery boasts over 2,000 prizes with six grand prize options, including 1.25 million tax-free cash or homes fit for a millionaire. And Brett, the biggest grand prize package is worth $1.6 million, and each package includes prizes like cash, cars, gift cards, and gas and groceries for a year. Early buyers will also be eligible for bonus and early bird draws, and you can purchase your tickets for the extra cash plus and, of course, 50-50 plus to win even more. Last year's HSC Millionaire Lottery sold out early, so don't wait you won't want to miss out on your chance to become a multimillionaire. All tickets proceeds from the 2022 HSC Millionaire Lottery support Health Sciences Center, HSC Foundation, helping the hospital provide the best possible care for patients and make life-changing and saving technological advances. Yeah, one of the spokespersons for this lottery is one of the most beloved athletes in Winnipeg sports history. His smile warms your heart. He hasn't played professional football in our city since 2008, yet his loyalty and commitment to our community is unwavering. Let's say good morning and welcome to the man who looks like he could still play in the CFL all these years later, Milt Stiegel. Good morning, Milt. Good morning, good morning. How you guys doing? Doing well. Did I read that exactly as you wrote it? (laughs) (laughs) The the, the check is in the mail. You did well. Thank you. (laughs) Uh, Anytime, my friend. So all kidding aside, you are lending your time and your endorsement to the HSC Lottery once again this year. How are things with you and your family? Tell us a little, or as much as you feel comfortable with, as you'd like to share, about what your American-born child and your Manitoba-born child are up to these days. Everything is going great, as you as you spoke of. My family, my boys, uh, my oldest Chase uh, is a senior now. So uh, one more year, and he's off to college. So he's being recruited for soccer. He's had like eight or nine universities reach out to him. So he's going to make a decision within the next month and decide where he's going to go to college and you know continue his uh, career as far as student athlete goes. My youngest, Colin, who was born in Winnipeg. Uh, he just entered the eighth grade. He's also a soccer player, plays a little bit basketball also. But 
they're both doing great. Wife is doing great. Uh, life is great. I can't complain. So uh, thank you for asking. We're doing great. So, Milt, uh, being a professional athlete is about dedication. It's about not letting your teammates down. It is about teamwork to the nth degree. And those on the front lines of our healthcare system have a similar work ethic and commitment, don't they, Milt? Oh, man, that's, that's an understatement. I mean, I, I would never uh, compare or equate to what uh, the individuals on the front line go through to what professional athletes go through. There's nothing like it. You know, they, they literally put their lives on the line to save other lives. So uh, it, it's truly amazing. And you speak of them, what people at the Health Sciences Center are able to do uh, each and every day uh, to help people throughout Manitoba continue uh, to, to, to have life uh, each and every day. So uh, we got to help out as much as we can because it is a difficult task and it, it, it causes, it costs a lot of money uh, to continue. Uh, having those opportunities to save lives. I don't know if you noticed it uh, on the broadcast on on Sunday, Milt, but the 50-50 jackpot at Mosaic Stadium was just a shade under $500,000 on Sunday. And I mentioned that just to compare and contrast the 50-50 jackpot in this lottery topped out at $1.3 million. And the last Winnipeg home game was the pure later tackle hunger game and Blue Bomber fans answered the call in a big way for that these community-owned teams have really figured out how to connect with their fan bases, and the fan base steps up for important causes like HSC Millionaire Lottery. The, the Prairie folk are, are really, really uh, they're, they're they're solidified. They're 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 very much the same in terms of how they step up and and support things like the Millionaire Lottery. Man, it's it, it, it's astounding when you see what goes on. And not taking anything anyway from anyone in, in Canada, because I think everyone in Canada is is amazing and unique in their own way. But when individuals in the prairies, once they decide that they're going to get together and do something, it, it's done at a different level. And you spoke of it, uh, you know, the 50-50, uh, these type of lotteries, the Health Sciences Center lottery. Uh, I mean, it's truly amazing what happens throughout Manitoba once this is announced. It's just everyone throughout Manitoba comes together. Uh, they scrape up whatever they have because, of course, they want to win prizes. But as I say each and every year, the ultimate prize is know that you're helping out uh, a hospital that does so much for so many individuals. Indirectly or directly, everyone is going to need the Health Sciences Center uh, in, in some capacity. So uh, I love it that I'm part of this. I love it that I can reconnect and connect with so many individuals throughout Manitoba through this lottery. So uh, hopefully each and every year it continues to grow. You talk about the 50-50. We're talking about the 50-50 getting maybe close to $2 million, over $2 million this year. So I wouldn't be surprised of that because I know how everyone throughout Manitoba uh, loves giving back to such a worthy cause. Well, and you're giving back as well, Milt. Thanks for your time. As always, we look forward to seeing your smiling face on those commercials. Get your tickets today for the HSC Millionaire Lottery online at hscmillionaire.com, by phone at 204-253-5688, or toll-free, Brett, 855-999-5688. We all need HSC. HSC needs you. You can save a life. Your ticket purchases help HSC provide the best possible care for patients and make life-changing and saving technological advances. Once again, get your tickets and see the grand prize options online at hscmillionaire.com.
according to the Canadian Centre on Substance Use and Addiction. Approximately 21% of the population will experience a substance use disorder or addiction at some point in their lifetime. Uh, one in five Canadians, and just a he- uh, one moment here, Greg, just giving you a heads up. It looks like we might be having some trouble uh, getting our guest. On the lives of those experiencing addiction is one thing. The impact on those closest to those living with addiction is another. And the impact on overall society is well documented the answer to the question, where do I go when I need help, could come from our scheduled next guest, which is, of course, uh, Daniel Iman. He's from the Adult and Teen Challenge, and and we were going to talk about the programming that's offered there to support family and friends. So let's bring Daniel on here. Good morning, Daniel. Hey, good morning. How are you? We're doing very well, sir. Thank you very much for joining us this morning. The Be a Part of a Story Radiothon goes live on 680 CJOB next Friday, September 16th, from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. Your story of addiction and recovery is a powerful one. Can you tell us how many times you sought assistance for your addiction? Well, yeah. Um, for my father was diagnosed with Lou Gehrig's disease at 18 years old. I was in first year University of Manitoba. Studying to be actually a medical doctor was what I was I, I aspired to be. Uh, and... Um, uh, fell deep into uh, depression and addiction and uh, tried many short-term programs. I, I, I went through the AFM uh, short-term inpatient program twice. I went to the Behavior Health Foundation twice, uh, went to see a psychologist, got onto some antidepressant medication, uh, sought counseling, met with uh, many different types of counsel- counselors, um, and it was about a six year process, uh, until I, I heard about the adult and teen challenge program, which was a long-term program and, um, and made the courageous decision to try this as a last resort. And, uh, yeah, it's been 16 years now of, of freedom from addiction. Well, congratulations on that, Daniel. That that's a, a wonderful story with a terrific ending. But the there really isn't an ending, right? Because this is a continuing story for you. Would we can call it a continuing battle? Is 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 every day? Uh, is this something that you think about and have to be cognizant of it? Ta- tell us about life now for you, and and yeah. how you and how you work uh, continue to work through this. Yeah, you know, um, yeah, I would be lying if I said there wasn't, you know, challenging days and dark days. Um, you know, the tools that I that I that I picked up at the Adult and Teen Challenge program, and then the the relationships, and actually learning to to help others is a big part of it. But um, yeah, it, it's I wouldn't say it's a it's it's a battle. And I guess every year of, of sobriety and freedom and and giving back. Uh, you get stronger and stronger. I do believe that. Um, you know, honestly, I haven't had a, a temptation to use in a long time. Um, but you know, that's not the case for many people. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a daily battle, and um, I'm very very thankful that you know that there is freedom, and that's one thing that you know is it's in our it's in our vision, it's in our mission. Uh, as an organization is that you can be free. Uh, 
you know, I, I live a normal life today. You know, I, I, I play hockey. You know, I, I don't have to have a beer with the guys. I, I, I'm, I'm good, you know. Uh, I know that having a beer for me <laughs> will probably lead me down more beers and, and probably harder drugs. So I've just made that choice a long time ago to say I'm okay with, with um, being free from, from mood-altering substances because uh, I, I, I look at it, too, as I'm allergic. Like, I, I have allergy to, uh, to alcohol and, and substances, so I react to taking a substance different than other people, and I had to come to terms with that a long time ago and say, you know what, I'm okay with that. You know, my son has a tree nut allergy, and uh, he can't eat almonds or hazelnuts, and he knows that if he eats almonds or hazelnuts, he, he's going to have a, a life-threatening reaction. Uh, to me, that's the way I treat addiction. It, it's for me. It's uh, with certain substances, I can't have them. I came to terms with that, so it makes it a lot easier uh, to live a life of freedom. And uh, another big factor is is faith, <laughs> and uh, faith is is uh, what it makes the difference for me every day. Is is being able to to um, rely on a power greater than than myself. So. One of the things that your organization does, Daniel, and we've been hearing the ads on this radio station for years, is, uh, you know, we can donate a vehicle, an old vehicle to Adult and Teen Challenge. Uh, what, what, how does that help the program? Like, what, what happens to the vehicle? For example, if my car, if I say, that's it, I've had enough of my Chevy Cruze, I'm going to donate it to Adult and Teen Challenge. Yeah, it's a, it's a very... Uh unique program because we try to uh, integrate our recovery programming into all aspects of our vehicle donation program. So it could actually be, uh, you know, a graduate of our long-term recovery program that, you know, is giving back that will come and pick up your car. Uh, And we have a vocational shop, uh, a life skills training shop. We call it the workplace certification center uh, where you know, the cars will come. We have a four bay uh, hoists, uh, a red seal mechanic. Uh, and while uh, clients are in our program, they can actually, if they have the aptitude, they can actually kind of start learning how to work on cars. And we take donated vehicles uh, and we, tr- we, we use them to provide workplace certification programming because we believe that that uh, in a long-term recovery program, work is a big part of of providing people real-life employable skills is a big part of our programming. So when you donate a vehicle, not only are you helping fund because we end up turning around and selling the car uh, to to generate revenue for our programs, but you're also uh, investing in people's um, employable skills training, which is is a very very awesome program and we we welcome people to come and check out our vocational shop one thing that we've had to do is actually adapt during covid because our car donations kind of plummeted because people really can't buy new cars because the car the 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 uh the 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 supplies dried up the supplies dried up you can't go you know people car dealers don't have cars and um, and so it's really affected our donations. So what we've done is we've adapted to actually, and, and we're very excited about this too, but Adult and Teen Challenge will be opening up a retail repair shop as well where you can bring in your car and we will uh, safety it and re- repair it for you. So uh, that's, that's, yeah. So we've had to adapt, but uh, we're still doing it. It's incredible to see people's lives change to 
the one thing that that I'll I'll go back 16 years. The, the the one thing that really really changed my life. You know, when you get into a place of life controlling addiction and and you hurt people and you you make mistakes, uh, you, your self worth really goes down. And what I love about our vehicle donation program is is I found I found a new value. I found that I found uh, a new sense of worth by being able to work with my hands and to, to to fix a car, to see you know to see something that was broken down, busted, uh, you know thrown away kind of thing, and and then have it uh, given a second chance. And uh, that's kind of what we do. And I I, I really uh, valued the time that I was allowed to spend at the vehicle donation program shop learning uh, life skills and what I never thought I would become the uh, CEO and, you know, uh, of, of, uh, of a not-for-profit here in Winnipeg and, and help and see so many lives turned around. Daniel Imond is the CEO of Adult and Teen Challenge, joining us live on 680 CJOB, President and CEO. The website is teenchallenge.tc. And once again, the B Part of a Story Radiothon goes live on 680 CJOB next Friday, September 16th from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m., where you will hear plenty more of powerful stories like the one we just heard from Daniel. Thank you so much, Daniel. That's really inspiring stuff, uh, especially that message on freedom. It's addiction, you know, people who deal with this stuff. Um, it sometimes it's just that fear of, of taking that first step, but knowing that there is something on the other side waiting for you, that freedom is waiting for you. That is important to know. Mackling and McGarry, McNabb participating in the Stars Air Ambulance Rescue on the Island today. We are asking you, inspired by Loren's adventure, what's the most remote location that you have ever visited or been to, whether by intention or by accident, for a chance to win tickets for the offspring? Lots of people weighing in on their adventures up north, like Tim and Tom. Tim says, I went to Grease Ford, Nunavut. Uh, for work, took two days to get there. I was only there for 18 hours. It's located 1,160 kilometers north of the Arctic Circle with a population of 134 people. And Tom says, 20 years ago, I did two one-month stints in Eureka, Northwest Territories, close to the North Pole, Arctic wolves in the camp, polar bears close by, landscape like the Badlands of Dakotas, absolutely beautiful place. Job was to renovate the weather station. And then mm. Craig, this is crazy, lost in the Hindu Kush mountain in Afghanistan, ended up driving, unbeknownst to us, through a heavy impact range. I suspect Craig was serving our country at the, that point in time, so Craig, thank you for your service, of course. Do we have time to read uh, John's here? I think we're going to have to jump straight to the winner, Mackling. All right, I, you know, I'm looking at the clock. I, I don't know why I asked that out loud. Uh, this is our winner Henry, this is harrowing. Uh, when I was a kid, our dad used to take us camping in a very remote village, pardon me, a remote part of the southern Siberian forest, miles from the village he grew up in. We would take a sketchy dirt road to get to an abandoned and deteriorating cabin. I remember having to build bridges out of logs to cross creeks. Very beautiful once you get there. Lots of different berries, mushrooms and rivers full of fish. Funny thing that we went back to Russia for a visit after being in Canada for a few years. We visited this place and all his favorite places. The KGB, that's the police of the USSR, called my dad in and asked why we had gone to all these places. 
To my knowledge, we were never followed, so I'm thinking that they had planted some sort of tracking device on us. <laughs> my word. Henry, uh, we had lots of great stories. No KGB-related stories, though. Congratulations, Henry. You win the tickets for The Offspring. Thanks to all for your wonderful and amazing stories today as you share with us every single day. Trust us, we love reading and learning about your lives. It is Mackling and McGarry. Loren McNabb is participating in the Stars Air Ambulance Rescue on the Island. She just tweeted a few moments ago that uh, she was preparing to get on a boat to head out to the island. So I guess they uh, have taken her somewhere. The, the chopper dropped them off, and now they got to get on a boat. So it's so remote they can't even get in with the... But I, I don't know. I'm, I, maybe I shouldn't even speculate on this. But because uh, <laughs> we have no idea where she is or what she's up to today. So I can't wait to hear more about her adventures. But in the meantime, make sure you follow her on both Twitter and Instagram uh, because she is posting about what she's up to today. Her hijinks, shenanigans, chicanery. I have to uh, look this up because I'm being uh, bombarded by texts on uh, something else right now. But uh, let me see here. What 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 is Loren? What has Loren got herself into? By the way, did she like put her hand up for this? Yeah, she volunteered for this. I don't know, man. All right, carry a little carry on. Uh, more details on that uh, tomorrow on the start. In the meantime, let's just get right into this. A new landmark study from the Alzheimer's Society of Canada says 1.7 million Canadians, 1.7 million Canadians will have dementia by 2050. That's three times the number of cases in 2020. Manitoba is set to follow a similar trend with cases projected to jump from the current 18,400 to 39,100 around the same time. And according to the study, bread arise in cases won't just affect family members and caregivers of those with dementia. Canada's health care system will also take a hit. Preparing the system, prospective caregivers, families, and those who will eventually develop dementia is as critical now as it has ever been. Aaron Crawford, Program Director with Alzheimer's Society of Manitoba, joins us now. Good morning, Aaron. Good morning. Thank you very much for having me. Well, this gray wave or silver tsunami, as it's been known over the years, isn't a brand new prediction for the impact of dementia. The precise impact may just now be coming into focus. This new report highlights the impact dementia is likely to have and and have on the healthcare system in our country. What are we learning from this new report, this new study, Erin? Yeah, well, you're right. It's not really surprising. We've known that we're going to have an aging population and that there's going to be some serious impacts. But I guess what it really highlights is the specific numbers and puts it in black and white in front of us. We've been seeing this certainly at the Alzheimer's Society. We've noticed an increase in demand for our services. And we did do a survey a couple of years ago here in Manitoba where about two-thirds of Manitobans said they had a close friend or family member already now with dementia. So even now, more of us are impacted than not. But what this report shows is that it's 124% increase just in Manitoba. So, you know, to put that in perspective, that takes us from right now, we'd be at about, give or take, like about eight, eight new diagnoses every day here in Manitoba. 
and by 2040 it'll be 15 a day and so yeah the are we are we ready for that is our healthcare system ready for that um you know i think that i think that one of the things we probably saw better than we wanted to in the pandemic was was maybe not um so i guess what we hope is that having these numbers here in front of us in black and white will really highlight the importance of what's coming and make us question whether we're really ready to get the care that we want to get so then how do we prepare as an individual, a family, a community for what is to come in some shape or form? Yeah, well, there's a, so there's a couple of things. One thing I want to highlight earlier this week, we had an announcement of the Jessamine Family Foundation committing 500000 to the Alzheimer's Society over the next four years. And other donors matched that, and the provincial government also came in with $1.3 million. So... The community is seeing this and is supporting the Alzheimer's Society in doing the work to support people with dementia. So I think that that's a really positive thing. But we also know that those new people being diagnosed are going to ultimately, it's, I mean, fundamentally, it's a progressive terminal disease. And they're going to need things like home care and they're going to need long-term care. And so we still need more investment into those systems. We need them to be a priority. Um, And individually, there's things that we can do as well to reduce our risk. There's still a whole lot about dementia that we really don't know very well or understand very well. Um, But basically... Anything that you've already heard about being good for your heart, be, you know, good, being good to reduce your cancer risk, being good to reduce your stroke risk, most of those things also will reduce your dementia risk. So for somebody who, and it's most of us, it's scary, the thought of a dementia diagnosis. If you find it scary, do those things that help keep you healthy from other diseases as well. It is fascinating, Aaron, how often we hear diet, exercise, et cetera. And I know mm-hmm. part of the findings is, you know, the fact that uh, exercise does in, impact your susceptibility to dementia. And so if you're active, stay active. And if mm-hmm. if you have somebody in your world uh, that's important to you, if they're not, uh, you know, get them going because this is going to be a huge factor. And, and we touch on this, but I don't know if we can emphasize enough that, you know, just because I ha- developed dementia, it, it's not me. I'm not the only one suffering, quote unquote, yeah. with it. It's going to be my kids. It's going to be my wife. It's going to be those that love and care about me. Yeah, it's really tough. Um, families who go through it say often you're going to need more help and support than you ever thought you possibly would. However difficult you think it's going to be, it's more difficult than that. Um, and there are there are things that put us at risk that we can't do anything about. So genetics and age are two of the biggest uh, risk factors, and we can't do anything about those ones. But those other pieces that we get a bit sick of hearing about, but the reality is that diet, exercise, not smoking, reducing drinking, but also a few interesting ones that we don't understand well, but there's a correlation. Things like hearing loss is correlated with a higher risk of dementia. So, you know, 
take care of your hearing, go to your audiologist and make sure that you're paying attention to those things because there is, it does seem to be some sort of connection between those things. And you're exactly right, Greg, that, that, that challenge and, and difficulty that it presents for your family down the road, it's going to be a, t- it's a tough road to hoe as the expression goes. What about just keeping, like actually exercising your brain, so to speak, because and I, I, look, I'm one of the couch potatoes, so I confess I, I spend a lot of my free time at home just staring at a television. Now, because I'm watching it for review purposes, I might be paying attention a bit more intently, but mm-hmm. I I don't read almost at all. I don't do any crosswords or word puzzles or anything like that, <laughs> but it, it, is doing stuff like that, can that help in any way? Yeah, for sure. So, I mean, I guess what I <laughs> to make you feel better about that, you're, you're engaging, right? So you're not just sort of mindlessly watching something, you're engaging in it, you're paying attention to it, you're doing some analysis and writing about it later. That's all good brain stuff. Should you throw in a crossword puzzle in there? For sure, that's also going to help. Um, anything, the idea is really to get um, the, the neurons in your brain working in active ways so they're not getting lazy kind of I don't know if that's the right term but so that they're continuing to fire and stay active and that seems to have a protective effect on your brain but so does something so you know but everybody has different hobbies and, and interests and and so just about equally important is being social so maybe you want to get together afterwards um, and meet with with the couch the other couch potato, and talk about what uh, what you were watching or you know whatever it is. That connection with friends and family is just as important. And so partly you can focus on the things that really appeal to you, anyways. But brain activity, doing things that are new for your brain and challenge your brain a little bit, definitely. Um, and maybe that can get you out of a little bit of the exercise if you don't want to do that. So that's one thing that, that we sort of know, but we also know there are some myths. And you're going to explore those. Uh, there's a research forum coming up September 21st, which is World Alzheimer's Day. It's called Beyond the Headlines, Uncovering Dementia Myths. How can people get involved with that, Erin? Yeah, so this is it. We're going to have Dr. Donald Weaver back for a second year. We had him last year, and he's super engaging and interesting and great to listen to if you want to understand a little bit some of the things that maybe aren't so true that you've heard. You can go to our website, alzheimer.mb.ca, and even if you spell it wrong and you Google it, you'll get there. And there's information there um, about that event, and it's a Zoom event, and public are encouraged to come out. It's free. And they can just hear a little bit quickly about what's going on in, in the world of research and dementia. So we really encourage people to come out. Aaron Crawford, Program Director with the Alzheimer's Society of Manitoba. Thank you very much for joining us. And uh, just a heads up, Jeff Braun and I will indeed be recording the next episode of The Couch of Potatoes in about two and a half hours. So. Oh, there you go. Perfect. <laughs> okay. Thank you very much. We appreciate this uh, all, all too important conversation. Thank you, guys.